Hi, I'm Simone W. Johnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional new to the United States and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. Welcome listeners to another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States. We are so happy that we're building a human library of immigrant stories. And today we have another great one for you. We have Evelyn Swain, who is an accomplished senior marketing executive with a passion for driving measurable impact and results. She has built and led high-performing teams for some of the world's most innovative and disruptive companies. For example, Tibco, Spotfire, Progress, Software, AG, Nuance, Blue Prism, and Immersive Labs. In those companies, Evelyn has built brands, led category design, scaled revenue, and bookings growth, and secured market leadership through a digital-first account-based, data-informed, integrated marketing approach. She has spent the last 20 years in the technology sector, and we're happy to have her on the show today. Good morning, Evelyn, or good afternoon. Good afternoon, Simone. So, so very pleased to be on this podcast with you and share with others my journey and my story. Do you have anything additional you'd like to tell us about what you've been doing in the last few years? And, you know, what's your, where does your family originate and where did you move from to the United States? Yeah, sure. So maybe we start from the beginning. So I am a Filipino immigrant. I was born in the Philippines and had a really kind of a very modest beginning is what I would say, and came to the United States when I was 12 years old. My mother had remarried and moved here actually two years before I did. And then my brother and I then followed suit two years later and moved initially to Mississippi. So that was you know, an interesting journey for me because it was down south. I was probably the only Filipino that they had ever seen. I don't know that they had ever come across a Filipino before, at least in the school that I was in. And I had never really experienced before, right, being surrounded with children of other descent or accents or color and never experienced feeling like I was a fish in a gla- in a fishbowl, basically, with everyone kind of looking at me, trying to figure out what I am and who I am. So that was my journey here. Very different, I think, from the country that I grew up in. In the Philippines, you know, we are a humble people, hardworking people that really love community and culture and family. 
So I grew up in a very small town where everybody knew everybody and the doors were always open. You know, you can walk in anytime and not have to be invited into the house. There was always food that would be offered to you and drink that's offered to you, even if it meant that the family is not eating something for dinner that night will be offered to people that come in from the neighborhood. So that's what I grew up in, just that very, very welcoming culture. And then coming to the US, didn't really get that initial feeling right away because again, right away, I think as an immigrant, you're being questioned, you're being assessed relatively quickly and right away when they first meet you. And, you know, you get a sense of, wow, what do I need to do to belong here? And can I ever, ever even belong? And as a 12 year old, that was really kind of daunting, right? And I think as I got older, that sense of how do I make myself believe that I belong in any company, in any organization, in any community, just continues as a thread. Okay, so you've shared with us about what life was like in the Philippines when you were growing up. Anything additional as far as the culture and as, you know, I know there's so many islands. And so if you speak with one Filipino, it might be different (laughs) from another one based on where you were raised. What was life like for you? You were right. There are many, many different islands. In fact, there's over 70 dialects in the Philippines. There's, of course, one national language called Tagalog that everyone spoke and English was basically our second language. Everybody learned how to speak English in primary school and secondary school. So talking to each other wasn't a problem unless you go deep into the provinces, then you really need to to know the dialect pretty well. Otherwise you would have a hard time. It would be like going to a foreign country. But as I mentioned, the culture is very welcoming. Food, music, family, and religion are probably the four things that I remember very clearly about growing up in the Philippines, right? I mean, growing up, I think I went to church three times a day. (laughs) I remember thinking that I wanted to be a nun because I was in church so much. Food, even though it wasn't in abundance, it was a way to bring people together, right? I remember like eating on, you know, banana leaves, like when there would be these festivals, there would just be food that would be brought in. And so it was a way to bring people together, the food, and then you would have music as well. You know, people would self-teach themselves. You will hear a lot of people sing and dance, teach themselves how to play the guitar, and music was just all around. And then, as I mentioned, family. Family is probably the most important thing that is true today of the Filipino culture uh, certainly was when I was growing up and is true today in my own family. Family comes first, no matter what. And the way that there's, there's this thing of communal living when I, when I was there, where my aunts and uncles lived in the same basically structure, right, in their own little apartment or bungalow, but we all stayed very close together. And your oldest sibling would then take care of the younger siblings and, you know, make sure that those siblings got their education. 
So once the oldest sibling graduated and worked, the money that you would earn would go back to the family. And I think that's still true today. That still happens. You hear of immigrants from the Philippines that come to this country that send their money back to their families in the Philippines to help support those families. So that's still very true today. Right. As do a lot of people from other countries around the world as well. Remittances are a large part of some countries' economies, you know. So, Mm -hmm. yes, I think that's appreciated to keep people going. You're the one to go out for the first time. And so you support others who are back home. I get that. Is there a story behind why your family immigrated to the United States? Yeah. So... My mom, as I mentioned, remarried. I was four years old when my biological father left. He worked for the government and went to Japan to work. And then unfortunately, you know, between the age of four and seven, when he was away in that country, he did meet his second wife. He and my mother then got divorced and my mom remarried when I was seven to an American. And when I was 10, she and her second husband at that time went to back here to the U.S. as this is where he's from, obviously. And I think in her mind, it was an opportunity to start a new life and also bring a better life to her children, my brother and myself. And so two years later, my brother and I did join her. Again, I was 12. My brother was then at the age of 10. And so what was that transition like for you? I know you mentioned a bit about what you felt like at the time, you know, growing up from 12 during your teenage years in the United States back then. What was it like? It was hard. It was challenging. We didn't have family here in the U.S. when I came. It was just myself, my brother and my mother. We didn't have friends My mother didn't have friends and she had been here two years before, you know, she unfortunately had some difficulty assimilating and, and being accepted by her in-laws at the time, because again, she was, you know, a woman from a different race, a woman of color, woman with two children. So there were a lot of things I think were getting in the way of her feeling like she belonged. So when we came here, my brother and I came here there was a feeling of isolation when we first got here, because again, no family, no friends, no roots, and had to really find our way. And myself as a teenager, you can imagine I had no one to really talk to about the things that were going on, both, you know, with my body, with the direction that I felt my life was going to, how do I make friends in this country that didn't understand me. My language, my English was still broken. I remember being made fun of because of the way that I pronounced certain words when I was growing up. And, you know, just the way that I would dress because we were from very, like I said, low income, humble, modest, you know, beginnings. So it was a challenging time coming here at that age. Wow. And Were you all later able to find a Filipino community, you and your brother? How did things pan out later on, maybe in your 20s as you went off to college? How did that turn out? We moved eventually from Mississippi to Virginia. So there was more Filipinos in Virginia 
So we did get to meet some Filipinos there and, you know, kept us close to our culture at that point in time. But I would not say it was abundantly rich in culture as I grew up in Virginia and then moved here to the Boston area where, again, there wasn't a whole lot of that Filipino community for my own children. As I've now had children, I struggled with keeping them in touch with my own culture because that community is not uh, rich and established here in the Boston area. Okay. And where would you say that the communities might maybe largely concentrated in the United States? I'm thinking West Coast. Is that right? Definitely in the West Coast. I know my mother and her siblings have all now moved to the West Coast. So there's definitely a large Filipino community there. California, I know that there's a lot like in, you know, Nevada, obviously. I've heard like in Seattle area, there's quite a bit. I know Chicago has a lot. I think there's, you know, different parts of the country certainly has it. it just unfortunately where I have chosen to bring up my family is not necessarily where, where I can find that community. And Boston area is quite cold, right? Compared to the climate (laughs) that the population may be used to as well too. Correct. Right. That's right. So was there an American dream at the time? You know, what was your mom perhaps instilling in both of you as you were growing up during those times, you know, I know you were here in the United States and you want to make your family proud. So what were things that you were thinking about at that time going off to college and, and what were your goals? Yeah, I think for me, it was really, I wanted to be successful, right? My mom, when we came here, worked in like a lens factory, making contact lenses. She always had two jobs. So she was a bartender at night. She worked in a lens factory during the day. You know, I worked, I had to take care of my brother. And I knew as when I grew up, that wasn't the life that I wanted to have for myself or for my own family. I wanted to be able to be successful enough and earn a good living and be in a place where I didn't have to work two jobs in order to have my house, my children fed, my house paid for, right, in order to have a lifestyle. So I wanted to make sure I didn't repeat that pattern of what where I grew up from. I wanted something better for myself. I wanted something better for my children, which meant education. My mom, you know, didn't graduate from college. She dropped out of college when she had me. So I knew I wanted to finish and have my college education. I knew I wanted to have a good, you know, career at that point in time. Now, of course, I was young at that point. I didn't know what my career would look like. And I knew I wanted to have a home that I could be proud of, that my children could grow up in, in a healthy environment. So those were like my early dreams, right? Now, obviously, as I've gotten older, those dreams kind of evolve and change. And for my own professional career, then my that evolved to being, well, I want to, I'm aspiring to be a chief marketing officer and I'm aspiring to help a company go public, right? Now I've achieved one of those two things, obviously still working on the second piece. And then the second piece of that dream is again, have a home and have family and children that grow up to be successful, accomplished, 
kind human beings. So I feel like I've gotten to that point where I know that my children are kind, compassionate, empathetic human beings. They're still making their way in the world. I'm sure they'll be successful one day, but I'm I'm extremely proud of them. Very good. So what were some uh, opportunities that may have come along? Perhaps there might be scholarships that you came across when you were looking to go off to college. It could be someone who directed you towards an opportunity or opened a door for you. What, you know, what were some of those opportunities perhaps that may have helped you along your way? Yeah, so in college, I did not have scholarships. As I mentioned, my mother did because she went to school in the Philippines. Actually, when I started looking at colleges, I didn't even know such things as like financial aid and scholarships could be available to me. So I did have to work my way through college. But I think there were people in my early in my career that made me believe in my ability, in my abilities. So one of my first, what I would call professional role, because it's a professional job, I was a bookkeeper for a commercial development company. And, you know, I remember interviewing with them, putting my hair up in a bun, and because I wanted to appear older and wiser and much more accomplished. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I don't know, I think I was 17, 17 or 18 at that point. And I remember my hiring manager saying to me, you know, she remembered me doing that. And she wondered why I did that. And that's why I did it, right. But she took a risk on me, because here I was, not having done this kind of work before. I had just graduated high school, just going into college, and I'm asking them to basically take a chance on me, someone and help me learn you know, this industry learned this type of work. So I would say that's the first time that somebody kind of just accepted me for who I am, the way that they saw me at face value, regardless of my color, regardless of my race, regardless of my education background, my socioeconomic background, they took a chance on me. And that gave me my first foundational I think, learnings of what it means to be part of a business, to help grow a business, to really instill. I already had work ethic because I'd worked prior to that. I'd worked at McDonald's, at Kmart. You know, I've always worked. But applying that work ethic in an environment to really have an impact of helping this business grow and having the sense of pride in my work, right? the pride that I would need to have to produce quality work that did not have to be done over that my managers and my bosses could then look at and say, I have confidence in your work and in you, and I don't have to worry about it when I give you something that needs to be done. So that was one of the foundational things I think that taught me very, very early on in my career. Now, throughout my career, you know, I remember coming into my first director of marketing role, I, a nonprofit. I had not done true marketing before until I went into this nonprofit. And the executive director of the JCC at that time, again, gave me that opportunity to be a director of marketing, even though I've had, you know, not a whole lot of experience as a true professional marketer and marketing leader. 
I had worked for, you know, a fitness centers for women. I've done some marketing there. I had worked for a footwear company. I did a little marketing, but never have I owned the full marketing stack. And this executive director saw that potential in me, saw that I have, again, a work ethic that I can inspire others, that I was comfortable enough in my own skin to have the confidence to be able to work with board members and lay volunteers. And I had, you know, this passion and interest in community and early childhood learning, which was the JCC was very well known for, that I could really pour that in and help them in growing their membership. So that was one of the, you know, another opportunity that was handed to me. Again, someone taking a a chance on my abilities and helping that membership grow. And I was there for two years and, and did that really well before I went into the technology sector, which is where I've now spent the last 20 years of my career. Okay. And on the other hand, were there some challenges as you sought to advance your career, being a woman, being an immigrant woman, being, you know, from another country, a woman of color? How did that work out for you as you sought to advance in your career? There's definitely challenges that happen. And I think, you know, it's in technology where it's mostly it's a very male dominated sector. And in leadership, now I'm fortunate in marketing, there are a lot more women in the discipline of marketing. But as you go up the ranks in leadership, I do think that there is a little bit of a hurdle that sometimes happen women. And what I'll say is, as a woman, when you're in a room, whether that's the boardroom, whether that is a meeting with just your peers or other leaders, And you might be one of two women in a room of 20. And as a woman, I've always been a very direct communicator. When you speak your, it would confidence and provide your opinion or challenge others, you get labeled, Mm. right? As a woman, which is unfortunate. But I think you put on top of that. And for me, again, growing up as a Filipina woman, with not really having the role models as I grew up because I left my country very early, came here and didn't have those role models. Grew up where, you know, you respect your your elders or people that are ahead of you. I wasn't taught in my young age to speak up, right? So I think as I was early on in my career, my first hurdle was letting my voice be heard because I didn't know that I could do that. And then once I overcame that hurdle, I would then have a voice, then it's the perception I would have from those that were around me, one being a woman and two being an Asian American coming into this country as a Filipino woman, and feeling like you you have a little bit of that imposter syndrome that also comes about. So those challenges are there. And I think you know, you just work on it every day. And as I've matured in my career, I've learned how to develop my own skills. I may have had some uh, gaps and having that self-awareness 
and just continue to develop myself so that I can then gain the confidence that I now have in my own capabilities, in my own abilities, and then have the gravitas. Once you have that confidence and you've proven yourself, then you have the gravitas, right? That you can then feel like you're not going to be intimidated. People are going to, you know, view you for what the impact and the value that you can bring to the table and not label you in any way because you're not, you know, your, your successes will speak for itself. So if you don't mind sharing, what were some of those things that you did to, for personal development, professional development, just some clues for people wondering, I wonder what she did to build her confidence to just to be able to show up at work as your true authentic self every day and to build that confidence in what your abilities. I think there were a handful of things. One is I found mentors and I found coaches and board of advisors, right? So I think that's important that we seek out others who see us, right? Who can observe us and who has been there before that can then give you guidance. And you have to be open. And I was open to feedback. And I think we have to be open to feedback. We have to look at feedback as a gift, right? It is a gift. It's a way that we learn about ourselves and the areas that we need to work on. So that would be the first thing I would say is, you know, find a mentor, a coach, an advisor, be open to feedback and have that self-awareness. And then once you have that, then you can then look at the tools that might be available to you, you know, taking classes, right, in areas, taking online courses in, in areas that you might need to strengthen, you know, or sharpen certain skills. Obviously, going to industry conferences so that you're learning from your peers in your industry what, you know, the next thing is, the trends and staying on top of that. So that's on the more, the hard skill side, but on the soft skills is really working on understanding and being in touch with my core values and then living by them every day as much as I can and surrounding myself with people and finding the companies that align to those values, those principles that I believe in. Wonderful. Was there anything that you found kind of shocking or surprising about the American culture? I know you came at 12, but was there any particular area that you thought, man, this is quite so different from the Philippines and the culture that I have at home? And how did you balance adjusting to those difficult areas? Yeah, I think for me, and this from 12 to probably through high school, the biggest thing I think that surprised me because I wasn't exposed to it growing up in the Philippines is the prejudice, right? The discrimination, the prejudice that exists in this country, the unconscious bias that still occurs today, whether it is prejudice against race, religion, prejudice on your socioeconomic status, because we have seen that as well, prejudice in the way that you identify yourself. You know, I have both my children identify themselves as gay men and they've taught me a lot. So even myself, I have to kind of think about, do I have unconscious bias myself? And I think 
that's what surprised me about this country, given that it's such a melting pot, given that this country was built on the shoulders and backs of immigrants from all over the world, that this country has either forgotten its roots and has not been as welcoming as I expected that they would have been. Wow. That's quite deep to hear you share your own journey with your two sons and having to look inwards as to how your conditioning from the world that you're being raised in may impact the way that you interact with your sons. Yeah, I mean, this is a, you know, we're in a very loving and open household. I have always welcomed and have encourage them to be their true selves. And they remind me that all the time, mom, you taught us to be who we are and not to shy away, you know, who we truly are and be authentic. So I am, as I've said in the beginning of this, right, how extremely proud I am of who they've become, right, as young grown adult men. Wow, that's just so powerful to hear. So I I wonder, you know, and you've alluded a bit to it, you know, whether you've been able to show up as your authentic self at work in social settings, or whether you've had to assimilate, integrate, to to just integrate with other parts of the culture over the years. I think in the beginning, I assimilated, and I still find myself, I think all of us, when we first start a role, right, we're assimilating. I think it's just part of what we do. And it takes a while before we're comfortable to really bring our authentic self. It's something that I continue to work on. Like, you know, as I come into a role or, uh, you know, even as I'm talking to uh, companies, when I'm looking for roles, again, understanding, do their values, my values align? Do we have the same core philosophies and principles? Because if those things are aligned, then you can bring your authentic self much readily and much easier, I think, to any workplace. But when those things are not aligned, there's parts that you feel like you have to kind of hide a little bit or wait for that to emerge uh, at a later time when you've been in, in an organization a little bit longer. Right. It's an it's a tricky road to track for an immigrant because, you know, we come in and we're so eager and happy to be here. We want to contribute our, our talents and our uh, industriousness. You know, that's typically, yeah. the you know, we're happy to be here and to earn. This is the place that everybody dreams to be. And so we're willing to change to any environment. But what are some of the clues you might say? It, it's not always easy to see whether your own values align when you're coming into a company. It's not after, a lot of times it's after you get in that you realize the culture that actually really exists. So how, how do you, how would you say to look for some of those clues ahead of time to see if it's a good match for you? Because I think a lot of times for immigrants, they're, they're just wanting to get into employment so they can earn and send back money or, you know, and sometimes they're not even thinking about that. It is probably a luxury to be able to even consider that from the start, whether your values align. So what would you say? I mean, what are some of the clues? I, you know, I think, listen, you can state your values 
and other people will then say, those are my values too. It's the way it's demonstrated. Okay. Right. So it's, it's the way that it's going to be demonstrated. Like, are they, you know, when you're talking, we're all in this hybrid world, we're talking on zoom, right? It's so hard because you're not getting the signals from, you know, visually, right? By the language gestures and the like, but are they actively listening? Are they giving you room to speak? Are they patient? Are they allow you to speak? You know, it, it's, um, you know, are they interrupting? And if they do interrupt, are they catching themselves? Are they, do they have that self-awareness, right? You know, listen for the words that they might be saying to you that might give clues, right? On whether they are truly inclusive, whether they really truly have an inclusive environment, right? Are they willing to listen to perspectives? Maybe ask, you know, scenarios, put them in scenarios and ask them questions. Like if somebody doesn't agree with you, how do you handle it? So I would, I would say just be, be very intentional of the way that you ask the questions and don't just look for the keywords, <laughs> you know, oh yes, they believe in integrity. Yes. They believe in transparency and they believe in inclusivity. Those are just words unless it's demonstrated. So that's what I would say. I, I remember when I was young in my career, one of the things took me back because one of the things this 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 was a CEO of a company that I worked for and we were walking together and this person said to me, well, you really are living the American dream. And I didn't know what to make of that, right? As an immigrant, because like, okay, you're recognizing it as an immigrant are you saying that to be like, you know, are you mocking me a little bit or are you truly saying, I'm glad that you're here and you're helping us? It wasn't clear to me what the intention was behind that statement. And I think that's where unconscious bias comes in. I think you have to listen for words like that and understand, are those being said to you in a respectful way? or in a way that kind of makes you feel like they're resentful in a way that you're here. That is so uh, such a key statement that you're making there, because a lot of times we're just so focused on earning and we don't look at some of the other value systems and cultures that exist in companies. And, you know, it can really harm us after getting in and realizing Thanks for giving us a window into that. It's said that success leaves clues. Uh, what do you know now that you wish that you did not at the start of your immigrant journey? What do I know now? Right, that you know, you know about the American culture and how to be successful here that you wish somebody would have said, you know, don't do that or do this. This will surely guarantee you an easier, more peaceful journey here in the United States? I would say what I know now, if I was to give my younger self advice is expand your sphere of influence and your network and really be in touch with that. One of the things that a chief people officer gave me a, uh, advice once 
He says, it's be seen outside of your own organization, outside of your own function. So if you're marketing, make sure you're seen outside of marketing, that the rest of the business understands that you can contribute to their own areas. So be seen outside. That's what I mean by, you know, expand your sphere of influence, right? And tap into your network and nurture your network. That's what I would say. I would advise myself, my former young self, rather than just getting caught up in the work that you're doing and talking to your your immediate peers and your teammates to collaborate, all important things, but you need to then think about, well, who else within the organization should I build a working relationship with? Who else can I network with outside of my own organization because I can learn from them they can advise me, they can mentor me, and they can help me along the way. Very well said. And, you know, as immigrants, because of just complexity of the American culture at times, you know, I've walked through this myself, you try to expand your horizon and step out of your own uh, world and, and interact with other people. But sometimes it cannot be the most encouraging because you know you know it can be harmful at times with the people that you're interacting with they're not welcoming they can be rude to you and so sometimes I really get that people tend to stick to like an enclave of a environment where they stick with people they know that they feel safe around and so Mm -hmm. even within that you're encouraging us to still you know expand your world and it's kind of like sales. You're going to get a lot of no's, but there you're going to find some really great yeses in the middle of that, right? Right, exactly. Exactly. One other thing I will I will say is you know, there's a quote out there, I think it's by Eleanor Roosevelt where she says, you know, no one can ever make you feel inferior without your consent. And I think as immigrants that's something that we we probably need to remember, right? Because I think we come here in this country we already feel inferior, right? Because we don't feel like we belong when you first get here. And we need to realize that we're not, right? And no one should make us feel like we're less than any other American citizen that's on the, in, in this country because just like everybody else, we contribute, we work, and we contribute to the success and the growth of our communities, our organizations, the companies we work in, and this country that we live in. We certainly do. I know there are some immigrants who may come and may not make the best decisions. And sometimes it's ignorance. You know, they don't understand that they have to abide by certain rules. They're living in a new country and there are different ways to go about doing business and so forth. And so some people really do like major mistakes that follow them throughout Mm -hmm. their lives. But I think for the majority you know, immigrants come in ready to work hard and to earn. And because a lot of times there are family members depending on them. So there's, they don't have the luxury to mess up. And so they come Mm -hmm. in and they'll, they'll put up with a lot of stuff just to make sure that they're getting that paycheck at the end of that two week period or the one week or monthly Mm -hmm. period to be able to send money home. And so we appreciate your story because it's quite a challenge at times navigating this path 
being an immigrant trying to make it here in the United States. We are a country of immigrants and at times we forget that. And that's why we exist here on this podcast is to remind everybody and, and talk about the successes and value that immigrants are adding every day, the hard work, the industriousness and the Mm -hmm. ingenuity, the innovation that we're bringing across the seas. You know, we're here to highlight that. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm happy to have heard your story today. And I wonder if, do you do any coaching on the side? I know some of my guests do like life coaching and so forth. And do you have any services that folks may reach out to you? I'm certainly happy to, to help any, you know, impart <laughs> any of my learnings, own learnings. I am not a coach professionally. I, I do offer helping to mentor others as, you know, just because it's something that I enjoy doing. Okay. I know. And so I know we're connected on LinkedIn. And so that's one space that if there's a young professional or somebody in your field who might want to have a conversation, they might be able to find you there. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So Evelyn Swaim, S-W-A-I-M on LinkedIn. So the message for today is that, you know, there's safety in a multitude of counsel. So we encourage our listeners to find community, ask questions, share your struggles with people who are around you that you find who are safe for you to share that with and your successes. You know, each one of us can teach the other. And, you know, this pandemic has really isolated so many of us. And so that's why we started this podcast is to reach people who are just in the shadows. A lot of times people feel like second class citizens. They're not able to be their authentic selves. And so we're here to support you and encourage you on your journey here in the United States. There's so many people who have made it and if they can, so can you. So we send you some rays of hope today and hope that you can find some inspiration through Evelyn's story today. So thank you, Evelyn. Thank you, Simone. Tune in next week for another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America. As this is a new podcast, we welcome any and all support. If you have not done so already, subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also support us by completing a five-star rating and review and sharing our podcast with your friends, family, and circle of influence.